Over your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. As you are, um, as you're turning your scriptures to uh, Ruth chapter 1, I told you last week I'd like to introduce uh, my family to you. Uh, my name is Andy John King. I don't know what my title is, to be honest. Um, I keep telling people I'm the junior varsity pastor, so we'll go with that. Uh, my name is Andy John King. I'll be bringing the message today. And uh, on the screen is a picture of my family. That's my wife, Brittany. We've been married 12 years. And uh, that's Davis and Noel. Those are our two children. And so uh, that's our home. We have a Ferris wheel in the backyard. And uh, <laughs> no, no, that's on vacation. And so um, we actually thought about taking a picture of us in our garage to do that whole thing to show you like we're just real folks like the rest of you, but then we would have had to like straighten up our garage and then find that balance between the real look of a garage but not really wanting to mess with it. And so anyway, we just showed you one from vacation. So uh, that's, that's our family and uh, we're so... <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you. We're, we're excited to be here with you today and, uh, and excited to preach the word. And so while everybody's making their way to their seat and you're turning in the Bible to Ruth chapter 1, really feel impressed just, uh, just to be still and know that he is God. Amen? Just before we, uh, before we preach the word, before we hear the word, let's just be still and know that he's God. Let's all bow our heads together. And let's just take a, a, just a few quiet moments uh, for ourselves just to pray and just to ask God to guide us into all truth and to minister to our families today. Let's do that now. Lord, this is a house of prayer. This is to be a place where we demonstrate our faith, and you are worthy. God, we lift that song of praise to you from our hearts today. And Lord, we want to hear from you. Father, I just pray that you would provide the word, Spirit of God, guide us into all truth, minister to our families today, Lord. We need, we need truth for our life. Make it plain so that we can apply it and take it with us. And I just pray, O oh God, that you would open our minds and our hearts. Lord, free us from distraction. Help us today, O oh God, to walk differently when we leave here. God, forgive us of our sin. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we are forgiven and you freed us up. We thank you, O oh Lord, for the cross. Lord, for your work on our behalf so that we might have eternal life and so that we may be right with you now. God, would you please speak to you into our, our life today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 through 22 is where we'll be. We'll be reading uh, a couple of few verses at a time as we make our way into almost the end of the chapter. Uh, but I just want to jump right in because i got a lot to say. Amen? So let's just, uh, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. But when you read the entire book of Ruth, as we continue our family series, we're talking about the family, going to be talking about it all month. Brother Dusty will be leading those messages the next two weeks. But when you, when you read the book of Ruth and you read it in its entirety, you will notice that the Bible includes all these family categories from married to widowed to single to single again, remarried and even in-laws. Amen? That's all included here in the, in the book of Ruth. But be careful when you are dealing with a certain family issue and when you seek the scriptures for that family issue. Whatever, whatever family you exist within today, and whatever that dynamic looks like, when you are seeking the scripture, when you're looking it up in the Bible, you may not find what you're going through listed topically in the scriptures. So, so just be aware of that because yes, the place to go if you need counsel, is to the Word of God, because the Scripture even tells us that God is the wonderful counselor. And the Bible is relevant for all situations because truth is truth and truth is comprehensive. That being said, the Bible and its primary subject is God and God's relationship to man. And so the Bible's not a, an index, it's not a handbook. And so if you are experiencing something in your family that you need God to deal with today... Seek the Word of God by reading truth in principle. Seek the Word of God by reading truth in principle when you read the scripture for, scripture for whatever you're going through. Now let me make a note off of that. 
truth in principle will not violate other parts of Scripture. So what I'm telling you is, when you read the Bible for whatever is going on in your life, don't just pull out one verse of Scripture and say, that's what you need to do. And don't make the Bible say something that you want it to say as you read it. So when you are reading the Scripture, truth and principle will not violate the other parts. And again, don't build your worldview or don't even build your counsel to your family off of one verse of Scripture. Seek the Bible as a whole unit together. Now, for example of truth and principle, Ruth chapter 1 gives us a glimpse at a mother-in-law to daughter-in-law relationship. In-laws. Does anybody need preaching on in-laws today? Anybody ever deal with anything that has to do with in-laws, right? That's a simple situation. But if you've ever thought that you need God to speak into your life about your relationship with your in-laws, that's one of those places or one of those topics that you will not just open up the Bible and say, the Bible say, here it is. But the Bible gives plenty of wisdom, plenty of principle into this in the scriptures about in-law relationships or relationships with estranged family members. If there's tension in your family and God will speak into that. When Brittany and I have the pleasure to uh, officiate premarital counseling, what we are doing when we sit before a young couple is we are listening as we ask them questions, we talk for a little bit, and then we ask them questions to hear from them on the answers that we want to ask them that are related to everything that matters. And so when we do that, we are listening for pressure points throughout that conversation, and at the end of that conversation, we'll come back and say, all right, now here's what came up multiple times that if you don't get a handle on it it will be a red flag now in six to seven years of doing this Brittany and I have discovered that one of those things that often comes up is in-laws now so I married some of you in here and I hope you're not getting paranoid at this point right some of your families are also in here and so uh, when we think about that having in-laws are new family members and this is not the whole message but it's what it brings out from in the text because you've got a a mother-in-law to daughter-in-law situation so having in-laws is not an easy transition it's not an easy adjustment because the spouse has known their family much longer it's probably four times as long as they've known you And so when you're coming into that situation, it can be difficult because it's just change. And so the scripture does not have a section specifically for in-laws, but there's all kinds of principles in the scripture that teach us how to act in our relationship towards others, towards our relatives, and for the honor and glory of God. Because the scripture, again, is a story about how God and who he is and how he relates to man. Now, when you look at verses 8 through 10, this is where we'll start. Naomi's on her way back home. Remember that from last week? Don't miss that point. If you have gone a guilty distance and nothing is right in your life and you know you need to get back home and in repentance seek the Lord again, come on back home. That was the message last week. Well, Naomi has now heard that God is blessing back where she should have been in the first place. And so she was on her way back home. She's back to where God is blessing. She's going back to the hope of security and comfort. And she's making her way back with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Naomi. Orpah and Ruth, I'm sorry. Three widows, all hurting, each have lost, and now this is their family unit. Now let's read together in verses 8 through 10. Verse 8 says, But on the way Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage, And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Now, as we read through the scripture today, I'm basically going to just give you principles from the word of God uh, about how to live within a family and God like it. Amen? So principle number one, again, now this is not just for in-laws situation, but it certainly deals with that. But maybe it would kind of scour over our family relationships as a whole for whatever you're dealing with here in your family dynamic. But the first principle is this. Your family is your family. Take care of your family. Real simple. Your family is your family. Take care of your family. In your marriage, when you enter into a covenant relationship, for those that are married, for example, in that covenant relationship, your spouse's family becomes your family. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that you neglect and forsake your own family, and it also doesn't mean that you become more than you think you are in the family that you marry into. 
But, but as you look at it here, the family that you marry into now becomes your family. You take care of your family. It means that your responsibility grows larger. And what you have in verses 8 through 10 is a broken family that is operating and cooperating as one unit. There's affection. Did you notice that? There's communication within this relationship. There's understanding. There's empathy. This is a healthy relationship. Naomi is leading and the daughter-in-laws are following. The scripture says that Naomi speaks a blessing over her daughters-in-law. That the daughters-in-law are kind and they are loyal to Naomi. She's like, you going back home. We, we need to, you, you go ahead and, and go back and find another husband. Go back to your families. And the scripture says in verse 10 that they're like, no, we want to go with you. And we're going to be with your people. Sometimes we might feel differently about our in-laws or our estranged family members if that's all we've got. Sometimes we may treat them a little bit differently if everybody around us that we are talking to is gone and the ones that we have is our in-laws or that brother that we haven't talked to or that sister that we haven't connected with. Those uncles, aunts, and cousins that we never connect with. Are, let me ask you a question. Are you taking care of your family? Your family is your family. Are you taking care of your family? The scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, but those who won't care for their relatives, listen to this, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Now, that's one of those scriptures you can just close it up and go on home with. Because God's word says, for those who would not look out for and won't care for, actually means this. If you are inconsiderate of the needs for your own relatives, especially those living in your own house, you are denying the faith that you claim to have. It's very simple, it's very serious. Let's, so let's ask that today. If won't care for means inconsiderate of needs, and the Bible says, but for those who are inconsiderate of their relatives, especially those in their own household, are denying their faith and are worse than an unbeliever. If that is the case, ask yourself today, what is the need of your husband? What is the need of your wife? Are you meeting that need? What is the need of your children? What are the need of your in-laws? What are the need of your parents, your siblings? Whatever dynamic of family you find yourself in today, what are the needs of your family? And on your behalf, are you representing the faith that you hold and are you meeting those needs? In this instance, we've got a widow desiring to go home. Now watch this. And we've got two non-believing daughters-in-law that are often, or here, are found to be godlier than some Christian folks. Because they are taking care of their family, even though it doesn't look like what they thought it should to begin with. Are you taking care of your family? And the care of your family, a lot of times, men, we think this way. If, as long as financial provision is there, then we're taking care of our family. They may not want that as much as you think. Are you taking care of your family with affection? Are you taking care of your family with time? With loyalty? Are you taking care of your family with presence? With counsel? With a listening ear? What are you providing for them? Uh, growing up, my, my granddaddy on my mama's side was a man's man, World War II veteran, farmer, hardworking. Loved that man. Went on to be with the Lord. But every time that we would tell him we love him, he would respond with this. Well, of course, we love everybody. Call him Daddy Price. Daddy Price, we love you. I want you to know we're about to go home. Love you. Well, of course we do. We love everyone. And finally, as I got old enough to kind of grow into a young man and be confident in myself, we would start saying things like, well, everyone ain't here. I love you. How come you don't tell me you love me? I knew that he loved me. That was not the problem. I wanted to hear him say it. We would just kind of get frustrated. What does that mean? You love everyone. What does that mean? Tell me you love me, right? I remember my mother, I remember my mother would wrap her arms around him and kiss him on the head after he said that. She'd be like, well, I don't care if you love everybody. I want to know that you love me. Just obviously we're just saying that in jest. But what that family needed from the patriarch was at times for him to stop thinking about everybody else and to start telling the ones that were closest in his own household how much he loved them. It's just something to think about, Amen. That's not to say that we should stop looking outside. You'll know how, don't take that and run with it either. I read, read the following this week. The first principle that applies to family relationships 
including in-laws and difficult members of your family, is that if you're a Christian, you owe them the behavior that's consistently Christian in character. Your family is your family. Take care of your family. Church, if this is your church home, if this is your church home, if this is where you grind at, if this is the place that you signed up to stay at, if this is your church family, take care of your church family. Now, it's going to be hard to do that if you don't get to know anybody. I've made this point before. Sometimes we're not plugged in enough to be even be ticked off. <laughs> Sometimes we're not even plugged in enough to know the needs of our family. I would encourage you, and you'll hear this consistently, Lord willing, I would encourage you to come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays for different reasons than, uh, than just the ones you come from. Sometimes, or come for, sometimes we come in here and we need to hear a word from God. We need ministry and we need counsel. We need to be lifted up. Well, so does the person beside you. And so we, we have got to come with this expectation of what God would do for us, but also with the understanding that God's ministry in us and what it will do for them. And not just the people that would wear a staff tag. But if this is your family, and this is your church family, then we come to take care of our church family. What are the needs of our church family? Maybe your church family needs you to keep their kids. Oh, now we're meddling. <laughs> but maybe, just maybe, a young family who's also serving in the children's ministry and who is exhausted needs you to try to keep their kids just for a minute so they can come in here and hear a word about their young family because God's already worked your problems out and now you're 20 years in so don't say the stuff you used to say like I've already done this before well good for you you've got experience now you can do it again because it helps take care of your family all right verse 12 9 through 12 Verses 9 through 12. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. Verse 10. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. Verse 11. But Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again, and even if it were possible, and I were, get, I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Now, the second principle from the Scripture found today is very simple in one word. Talk. Talk. Communication is for the purpose of communicating. You have got to talk. If there's anything that Brittany and I have learned and anything that we teach young couples, again, in premarital counseling is you have got to talk and talk about everything. You have got to hash it out. You've got to be able to talk to each other. You've got to be able to listen to each other. Naomi, the family lead at this point, initiates conversation towards something with her daughters-in-law that was an obvious elephant in the room. They're leaving their land of Moab. They're leaving their family. And they are going with their mother-in-law to a foreign land and, and to foreign belief systems and all of these things. And at the end of this conversation, there's understanding and resolution. If you notice that in the scripture, that's where we're going. One leaves and Naomi gave her the right to do that. One stays, but they got it worked out because they talked about it. I contend that for some of us here, if we were in Naomi's position, or if we were in Orpah and Ruth's position, we'd have gone on to Jerusalem, we'd have gone on to Bethlehem and never said a word. Never talked about what everybody knows we need to talk about. And so we let the resentment build up, we let spite build in, and instead of talk it out, we just ride it out. And that's what happens when you don't. You'll get back to Bethlehem, and they may never know your heart and assume that Naomi just wanted to keep them daughters close and not go back home. But that's what happens when you don't talk about it. The, the principle in Scripture here is to talk. Last week, my, my wife and I had a parenting disagreement. Y'all have any of those? Amen? I don't know if you should amen that, but whatever. Uh, we, had a, we had a parenting disagreement. And uh, put the kids to bed and kind of frustrated with each other. 
Brittany comes into to our living room. Uh, she calls it a den. That's whatever. I don't see. That's one of those things. So, she comes into the den and um, she says, she looks at me and she says to me, she says, I need to tell you something and I need to be able to tell you honestly and I need you to hear it. And if I don't tell you and you don't hear it, then I'm going to have resentment toward you. Now, we're in year 12 and we're finally able to get to that point in year 12. And we've learned that if we don't talk, if we keep it all in, and we let it build up, it's going to be like a kinked up hose. You ever seen a kinked up hose? That's supposed to flow, flow freely, right? But that kinked up hose will build up and build up, build up, and all of a sudden it explodes. And it'll be like a motion going everywhere. And so we have got to talk. I've been guilty of this. She's been guilty of this. We've let it build and build and build. And finally, we don't get out what we need to talk about without saying it in a way that the other one cannot listen because it's clothed in emotion. And so the purpose of communication is to communicate. James chapter 1, verse 19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. This, again, obviously going to God's people. But the family that talks it out usually sticks it out. So make sure that you're talking. If this is your church family and you need to say something to somebody, don't run up here to the staff and tell them, tell about them to us. That's happened for the last six years at Lindsay Lane East. I'll have people sitting here in front of, in front of me at my office. Well, this is what's going on, and I just came to tell you, you should know this, but they're really hurting my feelings this way. And one of my questions exactly when they say that will be, have you told them? And I don't know if they just want me to listen or they want me to address it. But the best thing to do biblically is for you to go to that person and say, listen, I've got to say something to you, and I need you to hear it, because if I don't tell you and you don't listen, then I'll have resentment for you. And for the good of our family, we need to communicate and talk about this. So talk. Talk. If you're in a family, talk it out. Verses 13 through 15. Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Naomi has some bitterness in her heart. Verse 14. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Verse 15, Look, Naomi said to her, Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. Now, third point. Family influence influences. Family influence influences. It should be noted, Naomi is a believer, but she's not thinking with her faith. She's thinking with her feeling. And, and justified, as, as far as this goes, she's had a tough go of it. She lost her husband. Husband moved her away from all her relatives in the land of blessing, away from God's culture. She's now in a foreign land without her husband. Her two sons died. It's now her and her daughters-in-law, who is not her blood connection. And so she's dealing with a lot of things. And, and she's doing exactly what we do very often. When we are in this place of brokenness or we're in this place of feelings, She's not thinking in, in eternal terms. She's thinking in, in temporary ones. And she begins to present God to a non-believer as one who is angry at her, who is getting at her, who is running her down. At very least, she's presenting to Orpah that God is questionable. And your family influences, your family influence influences. So I encourage you today, cling to your faith. In other words... Or for your own future, for the prospective future of another, cling to your faith in times of trial. And if you know the things that you would say, if you're mad at God, if you're questioning God, then hush. And don't say a lot at all. Until you've had a chance to, to read Scripture and pray to the Lord because your influence influences the greatest need for Orpah and Ruth was to know the one true God, not to get another man. Now, somebody may need to hear that this morning. <laughs> the greatest need for Orpah and for Ruth was not to get married again. 
the greatest need for them was to know and relate to the one true God who is the one and the only one can, that can fill that void inside of you, that non-material void that needs hope and love, and God is the only one who can fill that. And God is the living God who works on the inside of our heart through the Holy Spirit. So cling to faith because you may never know how you influence with the things that you say. When Moses was leading to the promised land, he said to his brother-in-law in Numbers chapter 10, verses 29, Come with us and we will treat you well, for the Lord has promised wonderful blessings for Israel. He was speaking well of God. We don't know what's ahead. And in fact, when they were making their way to the promised land, it was tough at times. But he spoke well of God, knowing that God would come through with his blessing. Come with us and God will take care of you, he said to his brother-in-law. It's a promotion of a better day ahead, not because you can feel it, but because you know who God is. But this is what happens when you're making your way back to the Lord. Now, last week or even this week, if you're thinking, I've got to get back to God, we've got to get back home to the Lord so he can fix what's going on with us because nobody else can do that. You're exactly right. But when you are making your way back, there's going to be a wrestling match between what you feel and what you need. And right now, Naomi is letting that feeling win out. God's mad at me. God is shaking his fist against me. Now, she's not lost faith. But she's influencing one of her daughters-in-law that this God that she believes in has abandoned her. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Go back home so you can bring someone with you. You know, it's often that in times of struggle, we miss opportunities to help. Because we are getting all the help ourselves. Now listen, I want to make sure I, I communicate this well. Some of us in here are struggling. And we're hurting. Broken. For all kinds of different reasons. I know within our family, I know within other families, the reason why they are hurting and they need people to pour into them. But at some point, you have to allow the God of all comfort to comfort you so that you can help someone else. I know that's not one of those like, praise God, but it's the truth. Verse 16 through 18. Scripture says, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death. To separate us. Verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. I'm going to read that one more time. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. The next point from the scripture is this. Get grit. Get grit. Orpah went back home. Went back to her family, went back to her gods. And we wish she wouldn't have, but she did. And there's no ill will from Naomi to Norpa as she encouraged her to do so. But Ruth, Ruth in verse 18, was determined to go with Naomi. If you think about it, and we read those words again, I want you to tell me what it sounds like when she says, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. It sounds a lot like to have and to hold from this day forward in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer Sounds a lot like marriage vows, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like a commitment, a covenant between family members. Determined. The scripture is showing us today a, a family member who has inner resolve to endure. Whatever family dynamic you find yourself in, you are going to have to endure. The scripture that you're reading may say, steadfastly minded. The, the word picture here given in the scripture is the idea of mental courage. And it's the same word that's used in repeatedly in Scripture that God gave to Joshua, Joshua when Moses was gone and Joshua had stepped up and he was leading a new people into the promised land. He said what to Joshua over and over in Joshua chapter 1? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very full of courage. Steadfastly minded. Determination. Why would God use this language at this time 
for Joshua moving into the promised land and leading a new people in a new way. And why would God use this language in his word for us by through what Ruth said? Because when you are leading people and you're trying to keep a family together, it's hard. It's difficult. That's why. And so the scripture tells us about Ruth, she was determined. She had resolve on the inside. She would not leave and her mind was made up before the conversation was even had. She got grit is what she got. Why is it so hard? Why is family so hard at times? Well, remember what we said last week. Wherever there is sin, there is separation, right? Wherever there is sin, there is separation. There's difficulty and people in every family, every family in here, every person in here is flawed, is broken, is inconsiderate, is selfish, is annoying. <laughs> we all annoying to somebody. Don't amen that because that would be me right now. Like, I get it, but that's who we all are. We are all flawed people, and we've been affected by sickness and death and heartache. We haven't even gotten to all the circumstances yet that are involved in what families go through. It's hard. It's difficult. In other words, family life is hard because families have people. Church life is hard because churches have people. Let me tell you something. You can leave this church today and think, I'm not going in there anymore because i got my feelings hurt. Well, skip on down the road to the next one and just see if God takes care of your feelings for 25 years. <laughs> There's people in here. There's people in here. There's people in every church, every hot church that's out there, every new church, every old church has got people in it. You get there long enough and plug in well enough, you will find yourself being in a position where you have to pull up your pants and walk tall and brush your feelings off of your shoulder because your feelings have been hurt because you're in a body with people in it. And that's what happens. That's why God was telling Joshua, be strong and full of courage. Why would God even say that to him? Because there's going to be difficulty ahead. Yeah, we talk about the promised land and all the blessings of the promises. Well, you know what? On the way to that promised land was a lot of war, a lot of battles. Determination, mental resolve, courage. This is a sound mind that the Bible talks about. Each year, approximately 1,300 cadets enter into the West Point Military Academy. During the first semester, these cadets are put through a series of brutal tests. And it's a deliberate engineering of tests to test every potential limit of the cadet. Researchers studied this process for a whole two years. Studied all the tests that they went through, studied all of the things that they would have to endure. They tracked two full classes of cadets to see which ones would actually stay the course and finish it out. And they would measure everything from physical aptitude to leadership potential to smarts and intelligence to genetics. They went through research and studied all of those things. But in the end, the research showed that for the cadets who were more likely to finish and finish well were not characterized by strength and genetics and smarts. It was grit. They just wanted to do it. And they made up their mind before they ever got in it, they were going to finish it. That was what science told us. So let me ask the question, how do we do that? How do we, in a church family or whatever family dynamic that you're in, how do we do that? I want to just pray for us real quick. Lord, I just pray, oh God, you take us the rest of the way. Help us to not think so inwardly. Help us to think outwardly. Help us to think about taking care of others. Help us, Lord, to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. How, how do we do this? How do we get grit? Let me make this suggestion to you, which I believe is a very biblical suggestion. We decide before we decide. You decide before you decide. One of the things we talk about in premarital counseling again is certain things within that premarital counseling and conversation that you have got to take off the table. If this happens, what will you do? Have you made your decision? Have you purposed in your heart, like it talks about in the book of Daniel? Daniel went into a foreign country as a slave, knowing and believing his God, holding tight to his godly values. They were challenged, and he was like, well, y'all can do whatever you want to do with me, but this is what's going to happen because this is who I am. Have you decided who you are? Have you made the decisions about what you value biblically according to God? Have you decided before you decided? We are followers of Christ if we are members of this church. And we have signed on to denying ourselves. 
We have signed on to following the standard of God, just like the Son, Jesus Christ, and not live at the demand of our own feelings. We have decided to follow Jesus. We sing that song, does it mean anything? And what we see in the Scriptures is how we'll act in our family. And when the situation comes, we may live in our feelings for a moment, but we'll get out of it because what we believe is greater than what we feel. Now listen, I wrote a note down here while we were singing because I'm thinking about the message and we're singing and God's putting us all together. This is why discipleship is important. This is why you need to get in a group and why you need to know what you believe according to your salvation. You need to know who God is, what he's like, what his character is, what he values, what he expects of you. When you know the standard of God, then your decision is already made because when the opportunity is presented for you to bail out, you won't because you'll do what God said because you've already decided who you're going to be. Get grit. How do you get grit? You get God. That's how you get grit. Let me make a church point of principle here. When you give yourselves to the Lord, you give yourselves to his people. I want you to think with me. When you give yourselves to the Lord, you give yourselves to his people. Verse 17, chapter 1. Ruth says, May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Let me read that again. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Now, in the New Testament, Lord is going to have a different word meaning, which is master and supreme commander. All right? Now, here, when she says, May the Lord punish me, What she is doing is now she's speaking the language of the people that she's committed to. Because Lord here is Jehovah. It's the Jewish national name of God. So when she committed to Naomi, or when she committed to God, she committed to God's people, which is who? Which is Naomi. So in a church principle, when you give yourselves to the Lord, you have given yourselves to his people. If you're a Christian, you're a church member. Now, let me talk about that for just a second. You absolutely need to belong to a local church so that you can minister out of that church and to people in that church. But if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, you're already in the universal church. Which is why we need to think about missions. Because when we go over to those places, we are under the same cause and Christ that those people are under there. So when you are a Christian, you belong to the church. Lone wolf Christians is not what God had in mind. It's not there. If you want to say, well, our religion is very private, well, according to what Bible are you reading? Because you won't find that in the Scripture, to where you are supposed to separate yourselves from the body. In fact, it's telling us not to neglect our meeting together. So when you give yourselves to the Lord, you give yourselves to his people to take care of one another, to talk things out, not to quit on each other. So we give God a bad name. How's your church? Speak well of church. Talk to people about how how you love your church. Talk to people about how you love the church down the road that you don't even go to. It's my pleasure to invite people to churches that's not even our own. And I'll do that from time to time because they don't live anywhere near here. I've had people walk in for benevolence here at Lindsay Lane here at the main campus, and I'll say, well, you need to come to church with us sometime. Oh, we live out in Clements, and I love that because that's where I'm from. I'll be like, well, great. You need to check out, and I'll start listing churches. And I'll say, they're good churches too. They got good people in those churches. They got good leaders. They love the Lord there. They love people there. You need to get in one of those churches. Let's stop bickering about the house of God and the family of God and get over ourselves and start speaking well of one another and this place. So just in case when we invite people, they may want to come. When you give yourselves to the Lord, you give yourselves to his people. We move on. The scripture says in verse 18, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Verse 19, one of the reasons she said nothing more is because it's not going to change. She's going. That's what we're going to do. Verse 19, 
So the two of them, and I think this is in your bulletin for your takeaway, the two of them continued on their journey. Continuing on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi? The woman asked. Continue your journey. Whatever stage, whatever mile marker you're at with your family, continue on and finish it out. The scripture says that once they talked and determined to move forward, they continued their journey. It says they went until they came to Bethlehem. Now, if you look up what the words mean, the words they went or they continued their journey actually means that they traveled on foot. Now, traveling on foot means what? It means walking, which is what? Forward progress. It may be slow, but we're moving forward. That is what walking is. And so I think we get this, this picture sometimes when they, they made their way back to Bethlehem, back to where the Lord was blessing. Yes, that's true. But where they were walking was salt-covered soils. They had to make their way up hills and down mountains. They had to make their way around waterways. One commentary I read said this, the way home would be weird and desolate. And so it's very possible if you are trying to get back home that, that you are not experiencing this Man, this feels great kind of feeling, but it's hard. Because now you're having to work back through all these years of stuff you've created. And so it's not easy. Sometimes we have this microwave mindset that, that God's going to bless us and he's going to do it in 30 seconds. And when he doesn't do it in 30 seconds, what else you got? Well, if, if, we've, if we're expecting God to work in 30 seconds over 30 years of the mess we've made, let's have a little bit more realistic expectations. Yes, yes, God can work through that and work through it in a moment. But I've learned in my ministry and my family that God works over time as we learn to trust Him over time. All this spiritual stuff feels good. Seems to work until we have to walk up a hill or around an obstacle. Continue the journey. Just continue on. When Naomi and Ruth determined to go back, it wasn't like a Hallmark movie where they go back into Bethlehem and their uncle that passed away left them a log cabin up in the mountains. <laughs> and in that log cabin, this guy and his dad, who happens to be handymen, come in and they repair the log cabin and all of a sudden, they spark up a conversation in a month they're married and got a kid. They kiss at the end and the credits roll. We don't watch Hallmark. <laughs> but that's... This is what you, y'all are laughing, the half of you laugh too, because y'all watch it too. You've watched stuff like that too. But you've seen it, man, and we love that, don't we? We see things like that, we think, man, that's awesome. That's not real life. We watch those things because we wish it was. And so when we see those pictures of that happening, you should temper that with the Word of God to know that sometimes you're going to be walking foot after foot through sand, hot sand. Sometimes it's hard and you've got to make your way up a hill. Sometimes it's difficult and you've got to figure out your way down. But God's promise has not changed when you get back home. Continue the journey. Continue the journey. As we, as we lay out that example, we think about, you know, we, we, we put this Bible chapter or book in perspective and we think, you know, Ruth went back home. She married Boaz. Boaz redeemed her whole family now provision's coming, now a new child's in the picture, and this is all well and good. But if you look what happens, the first moment that they got home, Ruth was scraping behind field hands that were employees of Boaz, and she was walking behind them trying to gather up some grain so that they could eat that night. It's hard. So settle in and get grit and continue the journey. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says, But those who trust in the Lord, or I love the way it says it in other versions, may those who wait upon the Lord will find new strength. But don't miss what happens, and this is, please don't miss this, as we're about to close. Don't miss what happens when they wait and they trust God. As they get back to Bethlehem, as they are trusting God, God provided for them, and not only did he provide for their good, but he provided for his glory in time. But see, Boaz redeems the family. Boaz marries Ruth. Together they have a son, and that son will be found in Ruth chapter 4. But then as you also read forward in the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, he'll also be found there because 11 verses later, then we get to Jesus. 
So what's happening is that God worked through a broken family to do something bigger than they ever thought would happen. To bring the Messiah into the world. God worked through a foreigner who becomes a new believer that is redeemed by a family member. Uh, Obviously, that's a little weird, extended family member. God works through all of that to redeem that family for his glory, for their good. And why? Because they got grit and they continued the journey. Now, I believe God would have done it with somebody else if they had not. But they did. Man, that's, that's the thing. What do we want to be remembered for? Her name is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. Hers is. One of the few women in Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy that is listed there. Boaz and his wife was Ruth. Together, they continued the journey. Verse 19. Verse 19 says, So two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked? Now see, this is something else that happens when you're coming back home. There's a lot of shame and guilt built up. And there's been sin that's been out there. Maybe it's even been on social media. There's things that people know about here that if you were to come back here, you'd have to deal with. But see, this is how sin and shame works. It'll make you feel like everybody that you're coming back to has already been talking about you behind your back. When the truth is, is that we're just glad to see you. We're really just glad to see you. That if something is going on, this is, this is frustrating sometimes. There's been something that's going on in the life of a family... And then they'll come to the church for the church to help repair and restore. And they do. And then they leave. And they leave because they're still dealing with that shame and guilt and distance. And we haven't been there in a long time. And they feel like all the people when they get back are going to be looking at them and talking about them in Sunday school. And all this stuff. And by the way, let me say this. If you're doing that, you need to quit. Because if we're telling them to come back home and get plugged back in and make their way towards the blessing of God, don't you, as a family member, stand in that way. Because the Scripture tells us that the town was excited when they were coming back. And so also, if this is you and you think, I need to come back and need to get plugged in, but you're feeling this, like, I know that that's out there, we know that we're messed up, well, then join the rest of us. And get over it, and come on back. The town was excited when she came back home. And then, as we close, I've said that three times, I promise, There's something to note here as we've made our way to this declaration of faith from Ruth. And the only declaration of Ruth of faith that she makes is this in verse 16. Your God will be my God. That's really all she says. She goes on to say, may the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. Which is kind of an immature wording as well. And so when you're looking for the faith of Ruth. If we're closing with this, if you're looking for the faith of Ruth, at verse 16, she becomes a believer. And I begin to search for, in the book of Ruth, which you can read through it very quickly, but I begin to search for this word of testimony, this word of praise, this this aside of, of glory to God. I understand all that's happening. I'm marrying again. I'm having a son. He'll be in the line of the Messiah. I get all of it now. And I'm looking for this in Ruth, and it ain't there. Boaz pulls it together in one definitive statement in chapter 2, verse 12, and he says, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you've done. He understands that she's coming to God to seek refuge and be put back together. But there's no song of praise from Ruth. There's no aside on how God saved her and has taken care of her. There's no time when she pulls it all together with understanding, when she has a husband and a son, and maybe the lesson we need to learn from that from Ruth is Ruth decided to follow the Lord, the God of Israel. She believed God could fix it up, and he did, and that's all she knew. And amen. Amen. And what I mean by that is, today, you may not understand all this. You may not understand all of what we believe, all of what you believe. You may just know that you believe the Bible, you believe that God can help you. You don't exactly understand the Trinity, the death and resurrection of Jesus, what we believe about God, about man, about sin. You don't know it all, but you believe God can fix it up and he can help you. Then God bless you and come on. And we'll help you answer the questions. We'll take it from there and walk you through how God works on the inside of our heart. They'll put things back together. 
Nobody's going to come down on you because you ask questions and you don't know all the answers to your questions. We're here to help answer those questions. Maybe all you need to know today is you need God and you want to go His way. And if so, I find that very refreshing. I love it when people are honest about that. Instead of when a question's asked and saying like, well, you know, uh, something I consider... Uh, no, you don't know, so just say you don't know it. And that's fine. That's what Ruth did. Ruth didn't speak over... When Boaz said, you come to God for refuge. Ruth didn't say, that's it. I've come to God for refuge. I've come to be restored and reconciled. He didn't say any of that. He didn't say anything at all. She just believed God was going to help. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. God blesses the poor in spirit. Meaning those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who recognize their need for Him. Let's stand to our feet. Today, as, as we have an altar call, I want you to know something today. As you're making your, standing to your feet, and, and for those of you that God's worked on you and God saved you, and this is not one of those times where you need to make your way to the altar, can I just ask you to pray for others that may need help? Can I ask you to do that? And so if, if I also want to tell you about this altar. We have an altar call where we invite you to come down and to pray at the altar, and you are so welcome to do that. There's nothing that says you have to pray at the altar but there's something special about getting on your knees before God. When you are thinking about walking the aisle to this altar, it is not a walk of shame. It's an admission of dependence. That's what it is. And so there's something good about getting on your knees before God. And I know for myself, every family in here needs God. Every family in here needs God and what God can do for you. So let's bow our head and close our eyes. If you know you need God, but you don't have all the answers to the questions, but you know you need to take the next step, why don't you come? All the heads are bowed. All the eyes are closed. We have people here that will help you answer questions. They'll, they'll not do it right here. They'll, they'll get you to the side and we'll handle it right. But why don't you come on? If you know right now you need God, but that's all you know you need, would you not just come on? We can help you. We have people that are standing here to help you. If you want to come and pray and you want to pass right on by them, you come on. I know there are families all over this place that need this week for whatever they've got coming up or whatever they've been through in the last week, I know you need to pray and you need to seek God. Why don't you give God a shot at it? Come on and fill this altar. Come on. We might as well just admit it all together right now. This is who we are. Why not make your way down and fill this altar? Don't worry about who's looking at you. Most people are not even think about it. They think about their own sins. So why not just come on down? Why not just make your way to the altar? Let's get on our knees before God. Let's let God fix it. Oh, Lord, it's possible today that we don't know exactly what we need, but we know we need it. Lord, we know that we need you. And so we admit that freely today. And so, God, may we seek you every minute, every moment in our brokenness. We thank you for working over and above all of our faults and flaws and failures. We thank you for working through this family that we see in the scripture that you have sent your son to deal with us to lovingly lay down his life for our sin and your spirit works on the inside of us so that we can overcome ourselves that we may not only have forgiveness through Jesus but that we may also have power over sin through your spirit oh God would you help us put all these things together Lord, for those of us that you've helped and helped already, in this next moment where we stand and sing, if we haven't worshipped yet today, I pray that we would now. Oh God, may we all feel comfortable to move and to worship and to minister. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on down. This altar is open for you. We have people here for you. Come out of sadness.